I love Godwin. He is my buddy. I'm headed over there in May, uh, and we'll be in the schools, as well as we're doing a, a business leadership conference straight out of the Bible. And uh, the opportunities there are absolutely uh, endless. So keep supporting them. It's awesome. All right, let's get our Bibles open. We're studying the book of Mark. We are already in chapter five after only five weeks. That's good for us. And uh, uh, I think you've noticed by now that our author Mark, uh, the, the guy who wrote the first news, the first gospel, uh, writing it about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. So everything's still fresh. There are eyewitnesses, most of them are still alive. Mark travels with the apostle Peter, and Peter is giving him firsthand uh, information as to everything that happened when Mark wasn't around. Because remember, Mark was just a little kid in Jerusalem when, uh, when, when Jesus was, uh, was on the earth. But the way Mark uh, presents his gospel, which is much different than, say, John, Matthew, or Luke, is that um, Mark just takes us immediately from action to action. He takes, he, he, it's all about what Jesus did that proved who Jesus was, who revealed the heart of God. So all these desperate people are coming at Jesus, uh, people possessed by demons, and he throws the demons to the winds. Uh, a paralyzed man is brought by his friends, and Jesus says, wait, first, before I heal you, let me do something else. Your sins are forgiven. And people are like, what just happened? And because Jesus had said, I'm here to set captives free. And of course, the, the captivity that we're in, that's, you know, our, our, we're tied together, body, soul, spirit, that, that Jesus said, this guy, he's, it, his paralysis is the least of his problems. And so Jesus deals with that. And then you have a man with leprosy that comes to him. And Jesus is touching uh, leprous people, even though you're not supposed to touch people with leprosy. But he's breaking all the rules because sickness isn't going to uh, affect him. His infection is, or his immunity, whichever one you want, the way you want to read, is stronger. Uh, a man with a useless withered hand is there at the church that day, synagogue. And uh, Jesus approaches him and uh, that poor, that guy can't work. And if you don't work, you don't eat. And Jesus' heart is always for the, the person who, who needs him the most. Hmm, I love that thought. And, uh, and, and so today's story is no different. It's about a sick woman, a dead girl, and the girl's father. Let's read together, starting in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, and there, there were one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. He saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. She's dying. Please, please, Jesus, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus goes with this guy. All right, so Jairus, a respected uh, local leader chosen by the community to oversee uh, the operations of the synagogue. And we probably have a little appreciation for the humility it took for him to fall at Jesus' feet and beg for his, his help. Not to mention the risk. Jesus already had some powerful enemies who would hear about this. You know, what's our synagogue leader in this town doing uh, embarrassing himself in front of this false uh, Messiah. Jairus, he's not thinking about any of that. What's he thinking about? Come on, dads. What's he thinking about? <laughs> Daughter. Any dad who reads this story can relate to it. 
It's our job to make sure that our kids are safe and cared for, healthy. They have everything they need, even some things they want. It's a helpless feeling when they get sick, and when they get really sick, it gets scary. Uh, any of you who've ever been in the back of an ambulance with your kid, any of you who've ever walked the floor at night with a fever that won't go down, with any of you, kid, any of you like one of our pastors who held his son on Christmas morning as his son uh, was experiencing seizures, his eyes rolled back in his head, and this little guy, and you, he's like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know if he was going to live. It's, it's torture for us as dads not to be able to, to fix things. Jesus, he hears the, or Jairus, he hears that Jesus is nearby, and he rushes to find him because on that day, he's not the ruler of the synagogue. He's his little girl's dad. Please, he says, please, Jesus, come to my house and put your healing hands on my daughter. Now we find out later that she's 12 years old, even though he refers to her literally as my baby. Oh, I love that. Jesus agrees and heads for Jairus' home. Dads, those of you that are here, first of all, good for you for being here. It's not enough to send your kids to church. It's not enough to to, to expect your wife to, to be the, the, that spiritual uh, giant in the home while you kind of go along, you know, and good-heartedly. Dads, good for you for being here. And it's great for us dads to know that when there's something we can't fix, we know the one who can. It's so important for us to remember always, find Jesus, run to Jesus. It's really not on you to solve every problem for that child. When your child is in pain, don't forget to, to call out to the one who went through pain for, for, for our sake, for our pain. And whether, you're, whether you're, your kid is, is three years old or 33 years old, you're still their dad. And as you pray for them, pr go, go praying as if you're praying to a source that can actually solve the problem that you can't solve. All right, let's keep reading. So, verse 24, there's this big crowd pressing in around Jesus. 25, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Wow. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She'd spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. So here we go. Another traumatized person approaches the Lord, reaching out in desperation. This woman has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, 4,380 days, bleeding. It's awful. Not only is she unable to conceive a child, she's been anemic for as long as she can remember. Weak, dizzy, no energy. Desperate, probably feeling crazy. Adding to the physical consequences, she's, uh, because of the bleeding and the, 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 the religion that's so much centered around the blood of the sacrifice, uh, she's not allowed into the temple 
for temple rites. And, and, and what that means is she misses out on worship. She misses out on the sacrifice for sin. She misses out on the fellowship of Israel at the festivals, which are all centered around temple. The festivals would be the loneliest weeks of her life as her family heads for the city for some of the festivals are camping festivals. They're fun, the food, everything. And she's supposed to um, she, uh, stay not only away from the temple, but remember, if you jostle up against her, if you touch her, that makes you ceremonial and unclean, and then you miss out on stuff for a while until you go through the procedures. So she hasn't been to church, so to speak, for 12 years. The only thing the doctors have been able to relieve her of is her money. It was 1843 before a London surgeon performed the first hysterectomy. Until then, there was no such thing. Back then in the first century, let me show you a prescription from a doctor. This was actually from the second century, but it's close enough. Here's how you treat a woman with this condition in the second century. You just take a gum of Alexandria, alum, and Corcus hortensis, and you mix them with wine, and you give them to the woman that hath an issue of blood. Now, if that doesn't work, you boil nine Persian onions, and you, you boil them in wine for her to drink, as you say, arise from thy flux. But should this fail, uh, you know, You're going to love this one. Don't read ahead. <laughs> Set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine. Do you see the commonality in this whole thing right here? Yeah, I get that part. Have someone come up behind her and scare her, saying, arise from thy flux. And, you know, at least her hiccups will go away. <laughs> but should this do no good? Carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer. And carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in the cotton bag in the winter. Or, if you can't find an ostrich, carry a barley corn found in donkey dung. You can't make that up. It's like, take two barley corn and call me in the morning. Wash it down with wine. <laughs> So, yeah, she hears that Jesus is in town, and she comes up with a plan. She hears what he's been doing. Her plan's risky uh, uh, because there's a big crowd, and she's not supposed to, uh, she's unclean. And she probably believes if she touches Jesus, she'll defile him, and he's a holy man. But desperate, t desperate times call for desperate measures, and she sets out to find him. Her plan is not to meet him or greet him or, or, or even ask for anything. She's gonna just go low and grab the hem of his prayer shawl, believing that this unspoken connection will heal her. And what has she got to lose? I mean, she's losing blood as fast as her body can produce it. She'll eventually um, not have enough blood to live. The life she has now, just, yeah, she's desperate. Jesus is her final hope. See, 
When we go to other countries, one of the reasons that miracles are more obvious to us, and God is a miracle-working God in America as well. We see this at Cornerstone all the time. But people are not apt to see so many miracles here because it's weird, but we don't think we need so many miracles here. We really do trust in medicine more than we should. But, you know, you, you trust what you understand. We go to other countries. I, I, was, I was in Ghana with uh, Godwin and his wife, Lanusia. She's a doctor. She had a whole team of interns. We went out to a village all day. We literally sit under the trees, and it's a clinic all day long. They bring all this medicine that Cornerstone pays for. Cornerstone pays for the gas, the food, everything. And then these, these interns come at a very low price, and a lot of them are Christians, and they minister to the people of this village all day long. And on a course of a day, hundreds of people are are seen, and they're, they're working on blood pressure and, and all kinds of stuff. They have lots of medicine right there. They, have a little, they set up a little outdoor pharmacy. So I'm there, and the day, the day goes along, and, and, it, and it, it just seems like the longer the day is and the more people we treat, the longer the line gets. And so I'm starting to think, you know, what's going to happen when the sun goes down? What's going to happen? And, and so I asked, you know, and they said, well, Godwin and, 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 and Lanouche, he said, well, usually, he says, we either run out of daylight or we run out of medicine. And, and I go, but then what? And they go, well, then we go home. That's why we're building a hospital. So I'm feeling bad. You know, I've been on the scene for all of 15 minutes, and now I'm going to solve it. Because I'm American. <laughs> and I'm a man. That's like, boom, boom. So I start walking down the line. And just, uh, anybody speak English? And speaking, yeah, yeah. And I go, would you reassure them that we're not going anywhere, and we're going to help, and... You know, and, and uh, they go, well, are you a doctor? And I'm like, no. And they're like, and uh, well, wh- why are you here? And I go, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, they find out I'm a pastor. Well, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? So this woman brings her daughter. I don't know what's going on with the girl. She's probably eight years old. And I, I, she said, would you pray for me? Sure. And they pray. And, and also what happens when you pray in other countries, you feel, you kind of feel it this thing, and pray for, pray for the daughter. We get done praying. And the woman goes, thank you. And she takes her daughter and starts to leave. She leaves. I'm like, hey. But then later the Lord spoke to me. He says, yeah, that's, that's faith. I'll, I'll take care of that girl. I'm, she doesn't need, and I'm like, yeah, but what if, God's like, why did you even pray? Because I'm a pastor. They told me to. All right. Here comes this woman with this desperate faith, grabbing for Jesus, prayer shawl. Now, what's she doing? Smarter people than me have determined that she, they, they believe that her unusual actions here, unique of all, in all the New Testament, show that she had an understanding of the Old Testament prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where the prophet said, when Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. He will carry healing in his wings. No, his wings. Your wings, um, to, we don't, we don't yeah, yeah. a Jewish man wears a prayer shawl called a talit, and they're beautiful. And uh, so when he prays, he covers his head. He kind of creates a, a tabernacle over his head, and he reads or he prays. And you leave him alone during that time. He's, he's communing with God. Here's a picture of a guy um, praying. Here comes a picture now. All right. It was thought that his, 
it was, it was just a common kind of slang that these are his wings, uh, that God is taking him somewhere. And in his wings are, and, and so in, in, the old, in, in the Old Testament, it says Messiah will carry healing in his wings. So what she's doing, and then there's a painting that, that it, hopefully, uh, I hope to take you to Israel, go with us in May, women are going in October. There's a painting of this woman grabbing for uh, Jesus's wings. And... Uh, uh, Believing that if she can touch that, uh, and, and, and look what happened. At verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. It worked. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He felt it too. He turned around in the crowd and asked a crazy question, who touched my clothes? And the disciples are like, Jesus, like everybody's touching your clothes? Uh, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She's terrified. I mean, her plan had worked, but she was hoping to uh, get her healing and get out. But now Jesus is reacting to her, and she doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know if he's happy or unhappy. But we know he's, he's not mad. He wants her to identify herself and be brave. And he wants to bring her some inclusion back into this local community. Look what he says in verse 34. She tells him the whole truth. And then he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter. That's a good word, isn't it, daughter? You can, well, you can trust a man who views a woman as a daughter of someone. Daughter. She's precious daughter of Zion. She's precious to God. She has a father. Her father sees her. Jesus is saying, I want to see you. Where are you? I know you're here. I know you're here. I want to see you. And this invisible person comes up. It's me. I touched you. I'm sorry I touched you. Daughter. Her illness had robbed her of feeling like anyone's daughter, especially a daughter of Israel. Her illness had, 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 had robbed her of, of intimacy with her husband. Her illness had robbed her, with, robbed her from uh, inclusion. And with one word, Jesus fixes that. Daughter. Dads say the word daughter. Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. You did this. Your faith, your faith healed you. Your faith healed you. Your plan was a good one. The risks you took paid off. You demonstrated reckless faith. Desperate faith. Others have been jostling me, but not demonstrating faith. They just want to get close to the rock star and see what I'm going to do next. You're what I'm doing next. You're the reason that I came today. You came after me, and I'm here with healing in my wings. You were right. Go in peace, he says. Be freed from your suffering. All that confusion, all that desperation, all that fear, all that helplessness, leave it here. Go in peace. Go. In peace. Leave, leave it. 
and be freed from suffering. All, all, type, all part of suffering is out here. 12 years of suffering are resolved in one touch. All right, so we gather uh, every weekend as men and women, and, 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 and the stories here are, relate, you know, women have to take a story about a man and relate it to them, and men take a story about a woman and relate it to them. Uh, but the primary group in today's story is, uh, uh, is, is two women, and we haven't gotten to the second one yet. The primary group is for women, and her story, this unnamed woman, her story is specifically for the women who are suffering that hear that story to give them courage to maybe start secretly, but then to identify themselves. And, 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 and it's for the woman whose suffering's gone on for a long time. It could be, and it could be any kind of suffering. It could be the same kind of suffering she's going through or any chronic condition that keeps you drained of life, drained of energy. It could be depression or any other persistent mental torture or it could be a memory of something that was done to you it's so terrible that you just, you don't share it. But it has shaped you. It has limited you. You wonder if even Jesus cares. You wonder why God allowed that. But I want you to picture yourself reaching for Jesus. At first in anonymity, but then as so many brave women are coming forward in the United States now saying, hey, me too, that happened to me. And the bravery of the one is bringing out the bravery in the other. And then hopefully justice can roll down on the predators in our society, no matter where they are in our society. We'd love to help you in that journey. When you're ready to talk to one of our women, when you're ready to trust one of the women in this church with your secrets. There are women in this church that can keep a secret. If, if, if it's gonna be told, it'll be you that tell, tells it. But when you're ready, we'd love to help you find the same kind of healing. And I'll just say to you, I'm sorry that Jesus hasn't healed you yet, and I don't understand that. Even in this story, as wonderful as the healing is, God allowed her to be sick for 12 years. I don't understand that. Fortunately, she didn't give up. Fortunately, she reached out and grabbed for Jesus. Fortunately, she identified herself to the community. God can help you do all of those things. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Press into emotional, spiritual, mental, physical health. And the men in this congregation will stand with you. We will stand with you, especially the dads. We'll do everything we can to protect you from harm and to, to, to believe you when you tell us things that are unspeakable and wrong because we care about you. We're your brothers in Christ. All right. Verse 35, while Jesus is still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Jairus, your daughter's dead. 
Don't bother the teacher anymore. <laughs> what? Your daughter's dead. Oh, can poor Jairus. He's, he had Jesus headed for his house. The solution was in hand, and then this woman interrupts. And Jesus has been occupied with this for the last two hours, dealing with this. And during that time, this woman stole my daughter's healing. But Jesus overhears the whole thing, and he, he says, Jairus, come here. Look what he says in verse 36. Fear not. Only believe. Fear not. Only believe. Let's get that in our heads. Let's say it out loud a few times, because... Let's get it rattling around our heads. You're going to need this sometime this week. Fear not, only believe. Say it again. Fear not, only believe. Say it again. Fear not, only believe. Only believe. When I was a kid, we used to sing that song in church. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. It's such a simple phrase. So hard to do. To only believe. Don't try to believe and be afraid at the same time. It doesn't work. Don't try to believe and figure it all out. You can't. Don't try to believe and make sense of the delays. Don't try to believe in, and, 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 and when you believe, you don't cast logic to the wind. You just put logic in its place. Faith surpasses these things. Only believe. Only for an intelligent person like Jairus, this would be very hard. It's really easier for a person of a simpler faith or a child to only believe. Once we get a good education, it just, we're just like, it's all cluttered. To be able to focus every thought in faith, to quiet your mind and discipline your mind and say, oh, nope, there's that fear again. Out. Only believe. Well, no, stop it. Only believe. For Jairus, it means walking to his house after he had been told that his daughter was dead. And Jesus said, don't fear. So Jesus takes him to Jairus' house. He doesn't let anybody in except his three favorites, Peter, James, and John. And they come to the home, and Jesus sees this commotion. There's people crying and wailing loudly. So these are the professional mourners that you hire. Um, uh, back then, there's, there's, uh, uh, they, 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 you hire them. And they're part of the community, and, and they're supposed to come and just make a, a, just a, a, a scene about how sad they are. But they're not, they're not you know. They're, but it's supposed to, like, honor the dead person and then kind of unlock your family to really get it all out and, and uh, join the, the wailing. And Jesus says, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him. They're like, we don't know who you are, but we're professional mourners. <laughs> and that girl is dead. And he's like, no, she's not. Funeral canceled. <laughs> After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples in, and they went into where the child was. He took her by the hand. This is what I love about Jesus. He's a, he's a holy man. He's a rabbi. He knows good and well that the, the, the law says don't touch a dead body. Death and life have no place together. Don't touch a dead body. And of course, those laws are there actually for contagion reasons, 
whatever. They didn't figure that out until later. It was also religious. Don't touch. And Jesus is like, oh, wait, you know, I'm, I'm above that in the sense that my life supersedes her death. Watch and see whether her death brings me death or whether my life brings her life. Forty-one takes her by the hand, says to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, rise up. Answer that. <laughs> you thought your phone was dead. You told put someone earlier your phone was dead. <laughs> you're welcome. No, you're welcome. <laughs> Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. Oh, that was your alarm. You were sleeping. (laughs) Oh, you're redeeming the time. You're a multitasker. Get up. Little girl, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. This, they were completely astonished. Yeah, but they were. Jesus just sounds like a daddy waking up his daughter. Honey, wake up. Little girl, wake up. Now, when Mark wrote this story, uh, Peter was the eyewitness. And I, I just have this feeling that Peter said, now, when you write this part down and it gets to what Jesus said, just leave it in the Aramaic because it's so powerful. And it would be powerful to Peter because that's his native language, not Greek. But also... When you're there when something happens, like the, the words Talitha Kohum were all were buried in Peter's psyche for the rest of his life. Because when he heard little girl rise up, he saw a 12-year-old girl come back from death. And that's going to mark your behavior, your thoughts about what God is going to do through you. you. It's going to embed that. It's going to make such a deep and personal impression on you. And actually the whole day is embedded in Peter's memory as God's son communicated God's heart for women, that, that God is their father and he wants to protect them. And, and, and you got this 12-year-old woman who suffered and died and another woman who suffered for 12 years. And to the one of the women, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. To the other woman, he said, little girl, rise up. Ladies, I I think that's what Jesus is saying to you today. Rise up. Rise up. Lead the way. Sometimes we have to come to a desperate place before we, we do that. The word desperate is such a good church word. I'll never forget being in San Quentin. Um, my friend Cherie reminded me of this uh, earlier this week. A, a favorite song sung by the men of the chapel of San Quentin. And if you want to hear a group, of, uh, guy, a group of guys come up on stage and then lead another group of guys, and they sing just so loud and so powerfully... And one of the, group, the songs, I had just finished preaching, and the Spirit of the Lord was, was ministering to, to guys. And, and, I, and when, you go to, when you go inside, you always preach hope, 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 hope. And so many of them have been walking with the Lord for the years. They just had a bad season in their life and got caught. And uh, so there they are now, and, and, and they're hanging on to their hope. And, 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 and I, we were 
they were leading, and one of the guys started this to lead the song, you are the air I breathe, you are the air I breathe, you are the air I breathe, I'm desperate for you. And I remember singing with them, you are the air I breathe, but when they got to, I'm desperate for you, I just, because when you're in a room full of desperate people singing to God that they're desperate for him, Cornerstone, however we're gonna get there, we've got to get to the place of desperation as if Jesus is the oxygen that we need every eight seconds. And I pray that God doesn't have to bring you to a place of desperation. He will. He loves you that much. During those seasons, you'll go, where is God? And God's all, I'm right here. I've been here the whole time, but I had to bring you to a place of desperation because I want to spend eternity with you, and I love you. You know, that doesn't have to happen for us to say, no, I'm going to bring myself to a place of desperation and abandonment into faith. And I think that's where we'll take it right now. I think uh, maybe we could sing that song, I'm Desperate For You. Um, and, uh, and then there'll be those that, that'll need to come forward and pray with our team and that are experiencing some. But all of us, actually. Especially our women. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, your, your only son. And we thank you for being a loving father. We're your sons and we're your daughters. We're not just religious people um, coming around once a week to do religious things. We're desperate people grabbing for the, the hem of your garment and looking for your power to be unleashed and unlocked in our lives. So we pray that you do that in us, around us, and through us. And that it doesn't end with us, but that we then turn and take that healing to the East Bay as we repair all the torn fabric in our society. Lord, I am um, disgusted by the, what I hear in the news about what powerful men have done to women. And now the women coming forward and saying, I have a story to tell. It just makes me sick. And Lord, we do pray that justice would roll down. That no one from the highest office in the land all the way to some anonymous predator would be immune from punishment. But at the end of the day, that doesn't solve the problem. That just brings justice. Jesus, you came bringing more than justice. You came bringing righteousness. You came bringing peace. You came bringing healing in your we pray for healing. Let the church make the society be a better place. And let us lead the way, we pray. In Christ's name.